Hallelujah. Praises unto God. What a joy it is to be with you again on the day, worshiping God in spirit and in truth. I thought I'd start the message off with some inspiration from Talele uh, Crawford, seven-year-old girl running in a 200-meter race and started off losing her shoe. But when she lost her shoe and the other little girls took off running, she's behind like 30, 40 meters from the beginning. But Lele didn't sit on the sideline crying and frustrated and mad. And she just went back, got what she lost. And then with that passion that she had, ran to her goal and still got the victory to help us to understand that even though you may have lost some things up front, it doesn't mean you can't finish and it doesn't mean you can't get the victory if you don't give up. Here's what I want to preach about today. A passionate pursuit for the promises of God. I want you to please open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 30. And I'm going to begin reading with verse 7. 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 7. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts, let them be acceptable in thy sight. Lord, you are our strength and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Listen to what that seventh verse of the 30th chapter of 1 Samuel says. Then David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, please bring the ephod here to me. And Abiathar brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them and without fail recover all. So David went, he and the 600 men who were with him and came to the brook Besor, where those stayed who were left behind. But David pursued he and 400 men, for 200 stayed behind who were so weary that they could not cross the brook Besor. In verse 8, David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue? And God answered him, pursue. In verse 10, but David pursued a passionate pursuit for the promises of God. This is David before he became king of Israel. This is David after King Saul fired him and not only fired him, but put out a bolo for David to be on the lookout with a bounty, with a reward that whoever could bring David in dead or alive will be rewarded. David is running for his life. He ends up leaving Israel and spending time in the land of the Philistines. While he was there, he was unemployed. He was broke. He was beaten. I mean, he was in a bad situation. He was homeless, ended up living in a cave for a while. You're talking about inadequate housing. He was living in a cave. That's where he met hundreds of men who were in debt and, uh, and discontent and in despair. And David became their leader. And they were just going from city to city trying to survive. And then they end up in Gilgal. And in Gilgal, things seem to be working out for them. These, these 600 men, they all get married. They're having children. They're accumulating wealth. They got gold and silver. They have herds and horses and flocks and they, they it looked like everything's going their way 
until the Philistines waged war against Israel. David and his 600 men got caught up in that, and they were gone from Gilgal for at least six days because it was a three-day walk to where they were and a three-day walk to get back. And when they got back to Gilgal, all of their houses had been burned down. And all their gold and silver had been stolen. All of their flock and herds, everything they had, had been stolen. Their wives and children were still alive, but they had been taken into bondage. And, and here they are, in their children in bondage, their families in bondage, sons and daughters in bondage. They lost their silver and gold. Everything they had was gone. And, and they were so messed up until... They cried until they could not cry anymore. And the reason why they were in such bad shape is because uh, those persons came in and burned their community down. And, and people black living in America, we know what it's like to be burned in our communities. We, we know what it's like to have not just food deserts, but unemployment deserts and economic deserts and job deserts and grocery stores leaving the community where we got to buy groceries at a gas station. We know what it's like to have resources taken from the schools in our community that are already struggling with resources and then take those resources and put it in the most affluent neighborhoods in our state. We know what it's like to be burned in community. And they cried till they couldn't cry anymore. They lost everything. And it was then that David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. And that's what I wanted to bring up today. I want to hopefully inspire you and encourage you and exhort you. And I know some of us have lost so much and I know some of us have been burned time and time again, but I want you to understand that there are times that you have to encourage yourself in the Lord. There are times you have to strengthen yourself. There are times you have to speak to yourself about who God is and what God has in store for you. And then you get to verse 7 and David prays. And the prayer was, Lord, do I go after this group that came in here and stole everything and took our families into bondage? Do I go after them? And God said, yes, go after them. And then God told David this, and you shall recover everything that you lost. I don't know who this is for today, but God is a God of restoration. God is a God of reclamation. God is a God of recovery. God is a God that will restore everything that the canker worms stole from you. We serve a God that is able to help you recover everything. And once David got God's permission, and once David got the promise of God, then he sets out with this passionate pursuit to get what God had for him. You know, the Bible says, in, when Paul was writing to the believers at Corinth, all the promises of God are yes in Christ and amen in Christ. All the promises of God are yes and amen. When God makes you a promise, no, let me do it like this. There's a historicity about the promises of God that if God makes you a promise, you can count it as history because it's going to come to pass. God has to be true to his word. So whether God promised it in his word or God promised it through some revelation in your spirit and God says you can have it, then you can have it. 
And I already know what you're thinking. If that be the case and God promised it, then why don't I have it? Because some of the promises and the blessings of God, you have to pursue. It says, and David pursued them. Some promises of God, some blessings of God, you don't have to do anything. They just show up. They over. God has a way with some of his blessings that the blessing overtakes you. Have you ever got a blessing you didn't pray for? You didn't ask for, you didn't fast for, you weren't even looking for it. And God just had it overtake you anyway because that's the kind of God we serve. He's a God of grace and mercy. Y'all, if God will save your soul, when you believe Jesus out on the cross, God raised him from the dead, you believe that by faith, you are saved, you are Christian. And if God will allow his son to die on the cross for you, don't you think God knows how to bless you? But some of the blessings and the promises of God don't overtake you you have to overtake them. Some of us are missing out on what God has for us because we're sitting around waiting on them to come to us. And we got to learn how to pursue them. You got to learn how to, go, how to go after them. And when David went after them, as soon as he finished praying and he had God's permission and he had God's promise, then he partnered with the right people. When you pursue what God has for you, you have to partner with the right people in terms of purpose. You can't partner with everybody, but you got to partner with somebody that has the same purpose you have. It says that he got with those 600 men and they came together. We got too many of us who are trying to be uh, long ranger Christians. I don't need nobody. It's just me and Jesus. As long as I got Jesus, I don't need anybody else. That's not how the Bible teaches us. It's something about having partnerships in your life. It's something about connecting with other people. The Bible says in the book of Deuteronomy, one can put a thousand to flight. Two could put 10,000 to flight. We do better when we come together. The apostle Paul says, we're the body of Christ. We're different members, but same body. He's talking about us coming together. He also says that we ought to, Ephesians 4, we ought to unite for the work of the ministry. Stop thinking that you're some lone ranger Christian out here trying to do it by yourself and learn how to partner with somebody else to get to the purpose and the promise that God has designed for you. Jesus, in John 17, prayed, Father, I pray that they might be one not isolated by yourself, but learning how to make the right connections and the right partnership. Those 600 men got with David. And, and, and understand something, those 600 men had a problem with David. But even though they had a problem with David, they still partnered with David. Because it says in verse 6 that they were thinking about stoning David. They had all this anger, all this rage. They were upset. They were mad. And they directed all of that towards David. Because they lost everything they had and their, their family was in bondage and their community was messed up and they were blaming it on David. That was verse 6. They wanted to stone him. But by the time David got finished praying, when he started partnering up in verse 9, he got those same 600 men with him. Because just because you run into problems doesn't mean you're with the wrong partner. Okay, I knew I wasn't going to get no amens right here. Just because you run into problems doesn't mean that you have the wrong partner. Lady Sharon and I are getting ready to celebrate um, May 31st, 36 years of marriage. We've been together for 36 years. We don't have a perfect marriage, but we have a healthy marriage. Do you think in 36 years we haven't had a problem? 
No, we've had a problem every year for 36 years. But it doesn't mean that you got the wrong partner. Y'all, they had issues with David, but they were still willing to partner with him because of the purpose, because of the mission. They're like, David, what is your mission? What are you trying to accomplish? You're talking about we need to go do something. What are you trying to do? He said, well, what we're going to do is we're going to rescue families from bondage. We're going to restore community. And then we're going to recover financially. And they said, we don't care if we're mad at you or not. If that's the mission, you can count us in. Eastern Star Church has done some incredible things during, through the years, but the reason we did incredible things is not because Lone Ranger was taking care of everything. It's because we came together in the name of Jesus to do what God has called on us to do, to save souls, to make disciples, and make a difference in community and different parts of this world. And not only did we partner with each other, but we partnered with other churches. We partnered with businesses. We partner with government because we pay taxes like everybody else. We partner with community because we knew we could not do it by ourselves. And in these partnerships that we have, I'm going to tell you now, there were those that we partnered with that had issues with me. But just because they had issues with me didn't mean I wasn't going to partner with them and they weren't going to partner with me because it's not about me, it's about the mission. Some of them had issues early on because I was so young. Others had issues because I'm black. Others had issues because of my background. Others had issues because of my education or lack thereof. But when they understood it's not about me, it's about the mission, then we were able to come together because we wasn't looking for some Lone Ranger to do this. Wait a minute. Didn't the Lone Ranger have Tonto? Didn't Batman have Robin? Didn't Superman have Lois Lane? Didn't the Green Hornet have Kato? Didn't Michael Jordan have Scottie Pippins? Didn't Shaq have Kobe? Or did Kobe have Shaq? But all of those were able to get victories because they came together. That's my word for somebody. Yes, passionately pursue what God has for you, but make the right partnerships along the way. There was a crazy accident that happened in New York City, and, and this woman gets hit by the car. And not only does she get hit by the car, but now she's pinned under the car. And if you've ever been to New York City, there's always tons of people outside. So people witnessed this woman being hit and then pinned. And then they came over to help her out. I'm talking about different colors, different backgrounds, I'm sure different educational levels, different economic status. And they all came over and began to lift this car. Not one person trying to do it by themselves. But when they all came together, they were able to lift this off this woman and get her to her freedom. Y'all, we're living in a time where so many are trapped, that so many are in bondage, that so many are messed up, that so many need a lift, and no one person is going to be able to accomplish that. But when we get together in the name of Jesus, I believe we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. Do I have a witness in here? So on your way to your purpose, the, the, God promised it to you, go get it. And then keep on pushing when others pull off. You have to keep on pressing when others pull back. Because everybody to start with you ain't going to stay with you. 600 men. And they all took off headed to go after the Amalekites because they're the ones that destroyed our community and messed up our families. And so now they're going after the Amalekites. They get to the Besor Brook. And when they get to the Besor Brook, 200 of them, verses 9 and 10, 200 say, we're exhausted. 
We're tired. We're beat. We can't even cross the Bezor Brook. And 200 of them fell off because they, and, and I understand they were exhausted. They just walked six days prior to that and then lost everything they had and their children are in bondage. I can understand them being exhausted. They're tired physically, emotionally, psychologically. Their community has been burned. They're, they're burnt out. Matter of fact, I'm preaching to somebody today that's exhausted, that's tired mentally, emotionally, physically. You're talking about the great resignation. There are people quitting not just jobs, they're quitting all kinds of stuff because people are tired and exhausted and 200 of them decided we're not going. David didn't say, oh, well, we gave it our best shot. We tried. No. He said, well, okay, y'all 200, y'all stay here. The other 400, we going. And we're going. They pressed on even when others pulled back because you cannot, let me do it like this. Y'all, just because folk don't go with you don't mean you can't go. When God makes you a promise, when God gives you his permission, when other folk fall off, don't let them hold you back and hold you down. Because every now and then, what God does is, is, is you're not losing people. Sometimes God is removing people. Job said, the Lord God gives and the Lord God takes away. We like to focus in on the Lord God gives and the Lord God does give. But sometimes, y'all, the Lord God takes away. And Job said, the Lord God gives, the Lord God takes away. Then he said, either way, blessed be the name of the Lord. Because sometimes God will bless you by giving to you. Other times God will bless you by removing from you. And for some of us, the things that we talk about who we lost, some of us, it wasn't a loss. It was God blessing you by removing the, Okay, y'all ain't saying amen to this because somebody, you were in love with somebody. You were in love and you thought they loved you back. And we're going to spend the rest of our life together. And about six months later, that thing broke off and you were mad at God. God, how dare you do this to me? How dare you allow this, this not to work in my life and, and for me to lose him? And you were on Facebook last week and saw that clown in all that mess and you started shouting, Lord, thank you for removing that clown out of my life. I would have been caught up in all this junk with him because sometimes God blesses you by removing people from you, but you can't stop. You got to keep pressing because you cannot become overwhelmed with overwhelming odds. David was already against the, the odds were against him already. He only had 600 men going up against the Amalekites. He, he's already got odds against him. Then he loses 200. Now he's down to 400. But he decides, I'm still going because he's not allowing himself to be overwhelmed because he's facing overwhelming odds. Because even though I don't have those 200 people, I still got the promise of God. And as long as you still got, see, the issue for us in the equations of life, we keep leaving God out. So we go, I had 600. 200 fell apart, and now I'm down to 400. Now I'm ready to give up because you keep leaving God out of the equation. So if you got 600, you lose 200, you still got 400, and you still got Jesus. And as long as you still have the Lord, y'all, that is a majority. That is in your favor. You have everything that you need to get that victory in your life. Do I have a witness in here? If God be for us, 
He's more than the world against us. Stop tripping because somebody that used to be in your life is no longer in your life because while you're thinking, I don't have enough, God is saying, no, you got too much. So I had 600. I'm down to 400. Now I don't have enough. No, you got, you got too many. Here's why I say that. Because <laughs> of Gideon. Y'all heard of Gideon, the, the judge in the book of Judges? And uh, God, Gideon was kind of upset with God. He said, if God is for us, then why are we in all this trouble? Why are we being oppressed by the Midianites like this? And God said, because I want to raise you up to lead an army of Israelites against the Midianites. And I want you to be the leader to bring freedom in the, out of this oppression that you're in. Gideon tells God, this, this is God telling Gideon, this is what I want you to do. Now Gideon is telling God, you made a mistake. You got it wrong. God, you don't want me because I'm the least one in my family. My family is the least one in our tribe. Our tribe is the least of the 12 tribes of Israel. So he's looking at how little he is rather than how big God is. God, you don't want me. And God says, no, that's why I want to use you because you're the least of the least of the least of the least. That's why I want to use you. And, and he had to convince him. He finally convinced him. He said, now I want you to make a clarion call. Call for all the fighting men of Israel to come together so we can fight against the Midianite. And he's, he's obeying God. He made a clarion call. 32,000. Hebrews showed up to fight against the Midianite. 32,000. Gideon was thinking, oh, maybe God is wanting to use me. 32,000? We still outnumbered, but I can work with 32,000. And then God told Gideon, you got too many men. Too many? God, you see how many the Midianites are? And God says, yeah, you got too many. When you're thinking you don't have enough, God is saying you got too much. So God told Gideon, Every man that's afraid, tell him to go home. Every one of them. Because when we get ready to fight now, the fight we get ready to have, we don't need men fighting in fear. We need men that's going to fight in faith. Tell them if they're scared, go home. 10,000 scared men went home, down to 22,000. And the numbers kept shrinking until he finally got down to 300. God said, okay, now you, you're right where you ought to be, 300. Because... Gideon, if you win the battle with 32,000, y'all going to say y'all did it. But when I give you the victory with 300, everybody's going to know if it had not been for the Lord on our side, we would not have made it. Y'all, sometime when we think we don't have enough, God said, no, you got too much because I want to get the glory out of it. When I get finished, that boy with the two pieces of fish and the, and the five biscuits and Jesus had 20,000 people told the disciples to sit them down, let's feed them. They said, they, like, Jesus, ain't no supermarkets out here in the desert. This is a, definitely a food desert, literally. We, we ain't no food out here. And then here comes Andrew with that little boy's lunch. Jesus, I found this little boy. He's got two pieces of fish and five biscuits. Then Andrew said, but what is that among so many? But he didn't count Jesus out. He put it in the hand of Jesus. Jesus began to bless it and break it and bless it and break it and break it and bless it, fed the people, took up 12 baskets of leftovers because what you think is not enough is more than enough when you put it in the master's hand. And so when folk begin to walk out, don't become so discouraged. Maybe God is setting you up to bring a blessing so that he can get the glory out of it. And matter of fact, this, this, I, this illustration I'm getting ready to use, I've used it before, but it fits so well. I'm going to use it again right now. 
So those of you who have never heard the illustration, it's going to be a revelation to you. The rest of y'all who've heard it, it's going to be a review, and you already know where to say amen in it, all right? So um, Dr. Theron Williams talks about the space shuttles that take off. Next time you see a launching, look at the space shuttle. It's connected to something at its base. But when it takes off, there is a disconnect. There's a detachment, and what it's connected to doesn't take off with it. Then when the space shuttle gets ready to go out of the atmosphere, you see something fall off of it, and it keeps going up. Then you see when it gets ready to go out of the stratosphere, something else falls off of it, and it keeps going up. Here's what I'm trying to show you. The higher the space shuttle goes, the more stuff falls off of it. And that's what I'm trying to tell you. As you're pursuing the purpose of God, as you're pursuing the promise of God, you're trying to go higher in the Lord. You're going from faith to faith and glory to glory. The higher you go up, the more stuff going to fall off and the more people are going to fall off. And you don't have to start tripping because, y'all, that stuff is designed to fall off. When the engineers made the space shuttle, they designed it so that the higher it goes, the more stuff is going to fall off. It's designed to do that, and God has done the same thing in your life and in mine. We're so worried about somebody that don't want to be with us anymore. That's because God is taking you higher. And matter of fact, when you go to the next level, it's going to be some other stuff falling off as well. But here's some good news for you, that God knows how to bring the right people in your life at the right time. You on your way, you pursue, you passionately pursuing the purpose God has for you, the blessing, the promises of God, and on your way, God knows how to bring in the right people at the right time. I didn't read that far, but in verse 11, after David leaves the 200 men, they cross over the Besor Brook, and as they're looking for the Amalekites, they come across a man in the desert, and the man hasn't eaten in three days. He hasn't had anything to no water in three days, and the man had been sick. And, and then David comes in contact with him. Soon as David and the 400 men see him, they give him something to drink, they give him some bread, then they give him some figs, they give him something to eat. They begin to pour into this man. Because every now and then, God has designed to bring people in your life so you could be a blessing to them. And David didn't make excuses well, I would help you, but I've lost so much in my life. I used to have it going on, but I don't live in that house I used to live in, and, and that money I saved up, all that's gone, and so I'm not going to be able to help you. He didn't come up with excuses because David understands that God blesses people who bless people. And no matter how bad off your situation is, there's always somebody worse off than you. And so David, even in the mess he was in, decided, I'm going to pour into this man because God is a God of holy hookups and divine appointments. And he brings people in your life at just the right time, sometimes so you can bless them. After David fed the man and restored the man, then David said, now who are you and where are you from? And the man said, I'm, I'm, I'm from Egypt. I'm just a young black man out of black Africa. Then he said this, I had been in bondage to Amalekites, but I've been emancipated. I was in slavery to the Amalekites, but I've been liberated. I was in bondage to the Amalekites, but I'm in freedom now. I'm trying to show y'all something. Those are the same group of people that's holding these 400 men and David, their wives and their children in bondage. The man said, I used to be in bondage with them, but I'm set free now. Because on your way to getting what God has for you, 
God will bring people in to reinforce your faith. Because <laughs> you're worrying about your child that's in bondage. So God brings somebody to show, I used to be in bondage to the same thing, but the Lord set me free. And David is thinking, if he'll do this to this black African man from Egypt, surely God will do it for me too. Y'all, that's why we need to learn how to tell our testimonies. Jesus said, when the Spirit of God comes upon you, you shall be witnesses unto me. God wants us to witness about what we have with Jesus because we need to bring encouragement and inspiration in somebody's life, and we need to tell the truth when we testify. And I don't know why y'all ain't helping me with this. Stop all these little cute testimonies. I think I praise Jesus for waking me up this morning. I think I praise Jesus for starting. And I think, no, I was in bondage. I was messed up. I was strung out. I was crazy. I was nuts but I've been set free because now people understand there is no secret what God can do what he's done for others he'll do the same thing for you God strategically moves at the right time in the right place with the right people to give you what you need to get to where you're going because David said if you have been with the Amalekite do you know where they are can you show us where they are the man said well if you make sure they don't put me back in bondage I'll show you David said, cool. He says, all right, I'm going to guide you to him. I'm going to direct you to him. Yeah, because on your way to where you're going, when, once you realize you're not the Lone Ranger, you need some guidance. You need some direction. And God begins to put those types of people in your life at strategic times. Um, I'm, I'm not a Miami Heat fan. I know we're in the playoffs, but I'm, I'm not a Miami Heat fan. But I am a Jimmy Butler fan. I, I love, that's one of my favorite people in the NBA, Jimmy Butler. Once I heard his story, and you know, Jimmy Butler, he, he's a ball, he's the best one on that team. Oftentimes, he's the best one on the court. He works hard, he can play D, he can shoot, he can, all, he can do everything. And uh, he's just gotten better every year. But it didn't start like that for him. Jimmy Butler had a, a difficult childhood. His father left when he was a baby, when he was an infant. His dad walked out and never looked back. And Jimmy Butler, was, as a youngster, he was getting in trouble all the time. He said when he was 13 years old, his mother looked at him and said, I don't like the way you look or behave. You got to get out of here. He got put out of his house by his mother at 13 years old. And when people talk about he was homeless, he says he wasn't homeless because he would sleep on a friend's couch or you know, a cousin's sofa. He, so he said he wasn't homeless. If you ain't got a house, you homeless. And, and he just had a rough life. That's at 13. And then some little boy at his school that they were on the same basketball team took Jimmy Butler home and his family fed him and let him sleep there. And finally, that family took in Jimmy Butler at 13. They already had seven children. This is before they knew he could ball like this. Here's a, a young black boy trying to find his way. A family that had seven children of their own took him in anyway. And next thing you know, he turns into this baller, gets a scholarship to go to Marquette. And when he goes to Marquette, he's an atheist. He doesn't believe in God. He said, how can there be a God and look at my life? God wouldn't let my father do this and mother put me out and I'm almost homeless and I'm going. God wouldn't. Do. He, he didn't believe in God at all. But his coach was a devout Christian and kept talking about God and led Jimmy Butler to Christ. And not only did he lead him to Christ, Jimmy Butler wanted to know about God, a little more about God. So he asked his coach, do you have a Bible that I can use? Coach said, oh, you have this Bible. He gave him a Bible. And 
Before every game in college, once he got saved, before every game, he would go into the equipment manager's closet and pull out the Bible and read it before every game. That was his routine. I used to be one of the chaplains for the Pacers. Yo, when I tell you, these players got all kind of routines, superstitions and everything else. But Jimmy Butler would go into that closet, pull out the Bible, and read it before every game. He goes on first-round draft choice to the NBA. Now he ends up in Miami. And, uh, and Jimmy Butler has gotten better and better every year. He thought he was just going to college as a collegiate athlete. No, God is a, uh, has holy hookups. <laughs> you were going to college not just to play basketball and get a degree, but so you can meet Jesus and learn how to read the Bible. To this day, his pregame routine is to read the Scripture, read the Bible. No wonder he gets better every year because every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. Every round goes higher and higher. And when reading Scripture is a part of your routine, you can't help but get better. Let me get to the last thing, and I'm finished. Here's the last thing. In verse 17, David and the 400 men, they get in there, and they fight, and they defeat the Amalekites. I really, I don't have time to work on that. If you really want the entire message, go back and listen to Wednesday's message when I talked about family is worth fighting for, right? The devil ain't just going to hand your kids back. You're going to have to fight for them. He ain't going to just let your marriage go. You're going to have to struggle for it. But family is worth fighting for. And they defeated the Amalekites. They, and the Bible says they got back everything. They got back the gold. They got back the silver. They got back their animals. They got back everything. And they got back their wives and their children. They got back everything. And then as they were going back, they had to go back past the, the brook Bezar. And those 200 men were there. And David said, we won, we got the victory. And started handing them their share of what, and some of David's men said, hold on now. They don't get no share. They weren't a part of the fight. They sat here and did nothing. Now you go, they said, they can go back and read it, y'all. They can have their wives and their children, but they ain't getting the rest of this stuff. All of this is ours. And they didn't just have what the Malachites took from them, but they had what the Malachites took from everybody else. They had, they had way more than what they expected to get. And then David, some of David's men said, they ain't getting nothing. Those 200 men, they ain't doing it. David said, no, we ain't going to be like that. We ain't, we ain't gonna, we're not going to operate like that. They were tired. They were fatigued. They lost so much. They were out of it. And now we just got blessed. Here's, here's what David is saying. Here's my last point. And, and that is, don't forget where you came from. Because... It wasn't that long ago you were broke, you were battered, you were messed up. It wasn't that long ago you didn't know what you were going to do. And then God gave us the victory, and now you don't want to do for them. Those, here's the mentality of those men, some of them. Those men were thinking, y'all lazy. And since y'all so lazy, that's why y'all ain't got nothing. They're blaming the victim for the situation that they find themselves in. And if you want yours, I fought for mine, then you go fight for yours. And it ain't just David's men that are like that. Some of us are like that. That we blame the victim. But if we'll be honest, it wasn't that long ago. We didn't know what we were going to do. And then Jesus stepped into our lives and not only saved our souls, but made a difference in our lives and began to supply every need that we have. Don't you forget where you came from. And then David began to send gifts to every city when he was struggling, every community to let him stay there. 
Every community that found him housing, protected him, and fed him, he starts sending gifts and gold and silver to every community that helped him to get to where he was because David never forgot where he came from. And some of us, you finally made it. You went like that little girl picked up what you lost, ran your race, got the victory. And now some of us, you know, forgot where you came from. I mean, you got to remember the, the faith community and the community that fed you and took care of you and prayed for you and led you to Christ and taught you leadership and loved on you when nobody else cared about you. Don't forget where you came from. And David started making contributions to them because if they did that for me, they'll still be able to do that for somebody else. I'll close like this. I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I'll go out of it the same way I came in it with that little girl, seven years old, running the 200 meters, losing her shoe, and going back to get what she lost, ran with passion, got the victory. Her coach said, I'm using it as a teachable moment for my seven-year-old's track team, my, my the track team with seven years on and here's, a, here's what he said the teachable moment is. Make sure you lace your shoes up to the top and make sure they're tight. Make sure you lace them up to the top and then tighten it up. That's not just a message for seven-year-olds running track. That's a message for Christians who really want to be what God wants you to be and do what God wants you to do is tighten it up. Tighten up your faith. Tighten up your prayer life. Tighten up your confidence in God. Tighten up your fasting. Tighten up your giving. Tighten up what you do in community. It's time to tighten it up as you pursue the promises of God. And I can say that because I'm standing on the promises of Christ my King. Through eternal ages, let his praises ring. Glory in the highest. I'll shout and sing. I'm standing on the promises of God. Come on, stand with me.